Hey everyone, welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to increase connectedness amongst Team Fairchild members. Every episode, you'll be hearing from different people around the base discussing topics such as leadership, success, failure, personnel programs, resiliency, and much, much more. We hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Refuel Team Fairchild. Today we're going to be talking about enlisted commissioning. It's a question I get asked a lot about, and really, truth be told, I've obviously never commissioned. I'm, I'm just a master sergeant, so um, I don't really know how to answer a lot of questions about how to specifically fill out the applications and, and all that stuff. So um, all I can really do is, is point people towards my PERS, give them different links that I have, or this cheat sheet that I have that, it, that talks about the different commissioning programs, but I don't know the specifics. On this base, we have plenty of officers who were prior enlisted and went through the commissioning process using the different programs. So I thought, what better way to discuss this topic than to have some of them on the podcast and go over you know, their program, what they went through, what it was like, etc. So who we have is Lieutenant Hall, we have Lieutenant Wales, and we have Captain Alexander. So what I'm going to do is turn it over to them and have them introduce themselves. Sir, tell us a little bit about yourself. Good afternoon, I'm Lieutenant Hall, and I am from the 92nd Logistics Readiness Squadron. I commissioned back in 2018 after serving 15 and a half years on the enlisted side. Lieutenant Luke Wales, I'm the Security Forces Operations Officer. Um, I commissioned in 2019. Uh, I was in for 12 years prior to that. Um, I've been a career Security Forces uh, Airman my entire time. And I'm Captain Alexander. Uh, I was prior maintenance. I've been, I was in for 10 years, commissioned. And I've been commissioned since 2011. Let's start off with Lieutenant Hall and Lieutenant Wales. Both of you went through OTS. So if you wouldn't mind just describing, you know, uh, I know we can't get super into depth in it, but the process about, you know, how you apply for OTS, maybe some tips that you might want to give somebody, and then what OTS was like. Starting with Lieutenant Hall, uh, going through OTS or the application process, um, it, it's not something that just happens. Uh, I spent years looking at the requirements, looking at uh, what the, the needs of the Air Force were before I applied. Uh, you need to make sure that you know what uh, career field your degree goes towards. Uh, so OTS was the one that intrigued me because I knew that after I got my degree, that would be the one to go through because there's so many different commissioning programs that are available. Mm -hmm. OTS is the one that fit what I needed uh, as I worked towards my degree for that specific route. Uh, if OTS is not the route for you or if you're early on in your degree, there's other options that are available. For me, it was OTS. That, that became really my only option after uh, doing the 15 and a half years on the enlisted side. Okay. What was your degree in, sir? My degree is in occupational safety and health. Okay. Okay. Is that, um, you know, you have to excuse me, am I limited? Is that a STEM type degree? It is not. Okay. Uh, so occupational safety and health uh, is really what our occupational safety or our wing safety office uh, is here on the installation. Mm -hmm. uh, a mix between wing safety and bioenvironmental engineering, which are two of the AFSCs I had uh, in my enlisted career. Okay, so bioenvironment, that's right. Uh, I think I remember talking to you about that the other day. So, And I'm sorry, I, I forgot what you said already. What unit did you say you're with now? I'm with the 92nd Logistics Readiness Squad. I'm okay. currently the, the vehicle management flight commander. Gotcha. I've worked with a few LROs in my time, and you all have a pretty broad 
aspect of your job, from what it seemed to me anyways, um, I was in a CRG and we had several LROs and some of them were like operations, super, like super, not superintendents, but they managed operations of missions. Others were focused on specific, you know, more like logistical transportation tasks. But I felt like you all had a pretty, pretty, pretty broad uh, scope of responsibilities there. They currently say our career field is the jack of all trades, master of none, <laughs> uh, because there's such a breadth of areas that we can go into within the logistics uh, career field as an officer. Okay. If you could go back, would you pick a different degree now, being with doing what you do? I would not. Okay. Uh, and the main reason why I would not is that is the degree that was the easiest for me to be able to pursue okay. uh, when I was enlisted. It's not easy to go to college for specific STEM degrees uh, and have a family and PCS and uh, go from AFSC to AFSC. Uh, so. When I got my commission, I went into my fifth AFSC. Oh, wow. Um, what made you want to commission? I wanted to commission because my dad retired uh, prior to me being born. And he was a retired uh, lieutenant commander, 04, in the Navy. But he had his enlisted side. Uh, did 12 years before he got his commission. And uh, I ended up enlisting uh, for personal reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but... Being an officer was always my goal. Uh, so by having that goal and trying to one-up my dad, uh, I ended up uh, gaining my commission. Uh, it has taken me three years longer than it took him, uh, but I was able to at least make that goal. So now it's, what's the next goal? Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Lieutenant Wales, um, so we'll, we'll get into what your degree was in and then kind of your journey to where you are. Yeah, so my degree, actually, a couple of things that differ from uh, from Lieutenant Hall is is I actually got my degree in a, uh, something that has nothing to do with security forces. I got my degree in a health-related field. Okay. Um, but, you know, a lot of stuff they factor in has to do with your your prior experiences um, and and the, the strength of your records going into applying to OTS. So how you do on the enlisted side, uh, you know, it does help factor into what what job, you know, you, you end up getting. Okay, so that they do look at all that stuff. They do look at that yeah. stuff. Uh, you know, the, the people who score the records are, are not the same people that plug your name into a spot for, for being an officer. So, so the board, you know, consists of, of colonels uh, and, a, and a general officer the same way, very similar to the way senior NCO promotion boards and stuff work. Mm. And, and they just score records. So they score those packages they do a cut line, you know, it says, I need 100 officers or something. Uh, they shoot that over to AF, uh, the Air Force Recruiting Service, and they're the ones that actually look at the vacancies and plug it in. And what they do is they take who got the number one score, what was your number one job choice, is there an available slot, and then they plug you in. Oh, wow. So it goes all the way down. So if you're applying for it and you got nothing on your list, you still made the cut, it's really great, but you, you, you know that, that it wasn't, that either there was very limited availability in the, the jobs that you had chosen above that, uh, or your records might have just barely made the the cut line. Mm. Uh, different. Another big difference from from him and I is I had no intention of commissioning until uh, eleven years in. So <laughs> it, it was literally a uh, um, you know by chance thing uh, for me. Um, I, I got pulled. I had just put on master sergeant. I got pulled up to to be an exec uh, for a group commander because there was just no other officers in the in the mission mm -hmm. support group to fill the slot. Um, it just so happened that four of the six prior or uh, the squadron commanders at the time were prior enlisted, and 
one by one, they all just came up and kind of bugged me, you know, with it, right? And <laughs> yeah. I, it was something I had never thought of before. And uh, But definitely to agree with Lieutenant Hall, it's not something you can just decide to do and be like, I'm going to do it this year or I'm going to do it. it. It took me a good six to eight months, really, to, to understand the requirements, uh, make sure I meet all those requirements, mm-hmm. and, then, and then line up everything the way you need to for your package to, uh, to be accepted. Right. Uh, so that that is a, it definitely you you got to give that that adequate consideration to it gotcha. before you start. Now, would you have, would you have changed your degree at all if you could go back? I would not because okay. for me it was the degree that I was most interested in, which gotcha. I think is the most important factor, right? Because you know one of the one of the uh, factors that they look at as far as scoring your package is your your GPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that if I would have been pushing myself through, for instance, let's just say a criminal justice degree, something something I don't personally, ha- I didn't personally have an interest in at the time when I was going to school, uh, there's a very good chance that not only would I have been more reluctant to take classes, so it may have taken me longer to get the degree, but I also would have, my grades might have suffered a little bit too. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that it was something that I was passionate about, something that I would I would work hard towards so I could get a good GPA and, and get that degree in a, a timely manner. Yeah. And so the reason I asked that question is, um, you know, I, I, the advice I give to airmen a lot when they're asking me what degree should I get is what both of you just said is, is do something you want to do. Because I'm a product, and I think the AU-ABC program is great for some people, but I took the degree that was the least resistance for me. And so now I have an emergency management degree that I'm, I'm probably never going to do anything with because it's not anything that interests me when I retire. So that's why I asked that question. And then two, I, I want to say I remember back in like 2017 – and I've heard it's happened a few times, is uh, OTS was not taking any non, non-STEM degrees for periods of time. So that's why I ask if, if uh, any, that, like you, either of you dealt with any of that or if it just timing worked out at times that you were putting in for it. So it took me five years to apply for my commission for oh. other medical reasons. Um, but I knew that my degree would only go for certain officer AFSCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's outlined when you go to look at the different commissioning programs uh, or they put what uh, AFSCs are available. It specifies how many of a specific degree is needed for logistics. Okay. Uh, for me, there's, uh, there is an opening for any degree. They would accept 20% of any degree into logistics. Gotcha. So I knew that I had a chance of getting that AFSC. Whereas if I wanted to go into Intel, my degree had to be more specific to the Intel side. Mm-hmm. Or if I wanted to get into finance, they want certain things. Right. Uh, bioenvironmental, I always wanted to be a bio officer, but you need an engineering degree to be uh, a bio officer unless you have so many years experience within bioenvironmental engineering okay. as an enlisted member. Okay. Uh, so knowing what position or what AFSC you want, what you want to do as an officer is just as important as knowing what degree you want to get okay. uh, so that they, they correlate to each other. Um, yes, get what you want, but you also have to make sure that that lines up with what your your end state or your goal is. Gotcha. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. And, and another um, uh, aspect to it too is, is that some of those degrees, they may not even, they might say they accept other portions of it, but I know certain degrees like contracting and finance require a certain amount of specific mathematics oh, taken wow. through okay. through that time, right? So you definitely have to read and understand uh, the guide and understand, you know, what, what you're getting into. But, you know, along with that, you also have to understand, too, that, that you may list those choices 
uh, and your degree might line up with it, but if the availability is not there, you may you may get stuck do or not get stuck, but you may <laughs> get a uh, an AFSC that, that that wasn't really on your list. So right. commissioning is one of those things that you have to commit to being an officer. Period. Right. You know? Regardless of where you're going to go. Right. Right. There's there is no there is no 100 guarantee that you'll you'll get to go be whatever you want to be as a, okay. as an officer. A little bit different on the medical side, I think, because they, they, right, they're more more specific. But if you're talking about line of the Air Force, okay. you know, what would be your maintenance, your MSG, um, stuff like that. The, the, the definitely is is uh, is no guarantee that you get get what you're intending to get. Okay. And Captain, I, I got I'm gonna, I got some questions for you. I got one more for these two before we <laughs> slide over. Uh, would Would you have chosen a different commissioning path? It could if you go back and do it again. First, so. I probably would have, actually. Uh, after getting my commission, I went back and I gave some E to O briefs and I, I looked into the different programs. Uh, and there's a few programs that if I would have known of mm -hmm. as an airman, the Airman Scholarship Commissioning Program, uh, I probably would have taken that. I would have gotten out for a couple of years, gone through ROTC, mm -hmm. and then came back in as a second lieutenant. And I would have done this 10 years ago okay. versus waiting for my opportunity to finish my degree and to... Uh, go that route. So I didn't know about all the different opportunities. I looked at specific ones and that's what I got my mind wrapped around. Uh, but when I went back and I looked at all the different options, there were better ones that I could have used along the way. Uh, then again, everything happens for a reason. I am, I'm here now because of the path that I chose. Okay. Uh, so I'm glad I took that route, but I wish I would have known about some of these other ones that were available. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a unique one because I agree, and 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 uh, especially the the Airman Scholarship and Commissioning Program, uh, that that is, that is great. I, for me personally, though, where where I stand with it now, I I am so thankful that I got all the experiences that I did on the enlisted side. As hard as it was to to get a degree, and 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 all of us in this room can attest to, as you go up and rank. It gets harder and harder to get yep. the schoolwork done to make <laughs> yeah, time for that, and and with your family and everything. Um, so it was a sacrifice on on my family's part as well to to do it the way that I did. But uh, I don't think I would trade the experience that I had that I've had along the way. You know, as opposed to if I would have applied for that program without a family and commissioned as a one C senior airman, right? That would have been my only taste of the Air Force, right? Because they just you know the, the the level of experience you get as an NCO and then even especially as a senior NCO to be able to transition it's helped um, you out. It, it sets you up. It helps you a lot. Yeah. So so I, I would say no. Okay. But but there are a lot of great programs out there and and there are more generous programs out there. Right. Yeah. That Airman Scholarship and Commissioning Program is an extremely generous program that yeah. the Air Force offers. Yeah. Uh, and so definitely if you're a if you're a young person and and you want that four year uh, school. Uh, that lifestyle for a little while um, uh, from the Air Force and then come back to it, yeah. then it's, it's definitely a program for you. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point in, in, in about not trading the experience. Uh, but one thing I do try to get the Airmen to do is is – because you're right. I had – I was a staff tech when I got my – was going through my degree and I had five kids. And, I mean, it was, it was insane. My wife was doing hers at the same time. I don't know how we did it. I had much more hair back then. I know that much. <laughs> um, so I wish I had done it when I was younger because I just had more time. 
you know, sitting around playing video games. I could have been studying more. <laughs> but um, all right, sir. Um, I know we talked a little bit before we started. So your program actually doesn't exist anymore. You said. <laughs> uh, it's called the Air Education and Commissioning Program. It's, okay. It's now gone. It was too good. Gotcha. Yeah. What it was. Um, so we won't even talk about it. But, okay. Uh, I was pretty spoiled to get in that program. Yeah. I think I remember that one. Is that was that also called like the bootstrap program, or was no, that a different? It one? was so it was it was only for STEM, very specific STEM mm-hmm. things, linguists, math, and some of your medical stuff. Okay. And um, yet, and, and you end up school for three years. Right. And it counted toward your you know time and service, and it is really ridiculous. And and all you did was go to school. It was your full time job was to go to school. So right. Uh, pretty good gig. Um, they have a similar version of that for the nurses. It's nurse. Um, uh, it's the nurse program, mm-hmm. and you go to school for two years. It's right. the same gig, but uh, getting an extra year out of it was kind of nice. Okay. Um, so I guess, you, but you said you're pretty familiar with the medical commissioning programs, which are a little different than your standard like SOAR and, and OTS and all that stuff. Yeah, quite different. Okay. Um, and you know, I just I talked about the NECP nurse enlisted commissioning program is one. Mm-hmm. Um, you you no doubt can throw people into different websites, but yep. actually we keep them kind of secret. They're on this site called the KX, and you can't even access it without having being already in the medical. Field. Oh, so okay. Um, uh, anyone can email me or look me up, and I'll share the information with them. Um, I have it printed out. Uh, Lieutenant Wales also has this package, I know, because he sent it back to me. Yeah. And I guess for everyone listening, I have a list that actually Lieutenant Wales started when he was the uh, professional development um, liaison to the CGO Council of officers on base who've used pretty much every program. So I'm going to throw it out, and they've already said that if people are interested, you can contact me as a career advisor, and I will put you in contact with the with the person. So I just wanted to put that out on there. So thank you for doing that, sir, when you were over there. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Right, go ahead, sir. Fine. So the nurse, the nurse one, you go to school for two years in a nursing program. It's certain, there's all these stipulations to it, right? But mm-hmm. You basically you go to school full time. That's your job is to just get a, go get a degree in a nursing program, and then you have to pass a, a standardized NCLEX test mm-hmm. and get your board certification. And upon that, you're commissioned, and you go to the fake OTS um, <laughs> uh, cot, and they have people make your beds and stuff. So it's not too bad. So there is a difference between officer o- or medical OTS and oh, yeah. non medical OTS. Yeah, they okay. put all the medical and chaplains and lawyers together. And uh, and give us blankets and we and and we, we take naps and we and while everyone else gets yelled at. Okay. Um, and it's pretty for, for for prior enlisted people. It's much 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 weaker than, in my opinion, from a from an intimidation standpoint anyway, mm-hmm. than than basic training was. So um, it, it's it's not it's not the same thing. You can look across the hall and see the see the OTS people getting there getting there uh, getting yelled at. Um, <laughs> Then there's the IPAP program. This is the physician's assistant program. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to go be in a physician's assistant, it's a great program, but you're, you're still tied to the military while doing that. You go down to Baylor University in Texas. It's mm-hmm. a great program. Um, lots of all the things that I should add, that no matter what program you choose here, if you go the medical route, your, your education doesn't stop. You're going to be forced to continue your education, yeah. and you don't necessarily have to go get your master's or your doctorate, but... A lot of people do because we still have programs after this right. that you can go, like if you get become a PA, you can be a physician's assistant for a few years, but then you can go into emergency medicine and get your further education that way or orthopedics or whatever. Right. So worth knowing. 
Um, and sorry, the, the IPAP, that's not a specific to Air Force program either. No, that's it's actually run by Army, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not too, too up to speed to it, but uh, it's a pretty intense program. Mm-hmm. It's very fast-paced, You are, and you're going to be alone um, there. You're going to go off. If you have a family, you're going to be alone for a certain amount. I think it's 16 weeks down in uh, um, maybe even Nebraska, I think. But uh, the point, you have, you have to look up the, all the details to it, but the, the, those PA programs are pretty intense. Yeah. Um, then you have, like, there's the enlisted medical degree preparatory program, uh, and then you have U-Shoes, which is, we have our own medical school, the DOD. Or the, oh, I didn't um, know that one. Yep, over in, uh, over in Maryland in Baltimore, there's a, uh, right, we have our own school, the U-Shoes, and um, you can go to, you can apply for medical school there mm-hmm. you, and get commissioned that route and come out as a, as a doctor, go to Either go to flight med or go do your residency and um, and commission, and you owe you owe twice as much time back as it took to get through med school. But okay. pretty good deal to pay for med school. Yeah, and it's yeah. a good medical school too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you have a corps that most people didn't know about, likely you, the medical services corps. So the medical services corps is a really great. Uh, those are the people who, if you want to do, you want to get in the hospital, but you don't want to touch patients. Mm-hmm. Medical Services Corps may be for you, and these are the these are the managers, the uh, administrators for, in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, and they can have all kinds of different degrees to get into that program. The list is actually pretty extensive. You can have healthcare management, you can have uh, uh, marketing, statistics, bioengineering, uh, clinical engineering, healthcare engineering, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's about Thirty different degrees that you you can, or twenty different degrees you can have yeah. to get into that program, and those guys run logistics or IT right. or um, you know they kind of think of them as the money people or yeah. the program managers of the hospital. You're behind the scenes folks that help the hospital run, yeah. like open the doors, yeah. Yeah. and make rank fast. They do well. <laughs> so, uh, what made you want a commission, then, sir? Um, so it's not because I didn't like my job. Um, I actually did like my job. Um, I just had, I, had, I guess I didn't know what to do in school and I was just taking classes and event, and I always knew that at some point that was gonna, I might as well apply for something. But, um, so eventually I got my eyes on med school and that's kind of what pushed me down that path. Mm-hmm. The, uh, um, and, and then I kind of changed directions a number of times, but, um, you know, I got to piggyback a couple of things that these guys said first off is that your package doesn't get done overnight right and even before you start your package if, if you're interested in commissioning then you're, you're already writing your package because your EPRs are going to be the biggest portion of everything I mean, there's going to be a very heavy weight in that package mm-hmm. so what you're doing today is extremely important for um, for that commissioning program and, and whether or not you're going to get into it and whether or not you're going to be successful mm-hmm. and then that so that goes back to what whale said I mean I can't the I got turned. I got passed over my first time, um, for um, and I at the time I thought, well, that was this is devastating. This is the worst you know thing that could happen. And I and those next the next eighteen months that I had enlisted were perhaps the best year. I, I learned more about what it meant to be an NCO, which is really like you're not as an airman. You're going to learn some stuff. But it doesn't really prepare you for being an officer half as much as being an NCO does because you start managing people and you start getting programs and you start having people having expectations of you that are beyond just turning a wrench or doing your job. Right. And when you become an, a lieutenant, and, st- and especially as you start working up in the ranks of the officer corps, 
you're going to, the expectation is not only that you can do your job first day, like that, that's a given. You've got to be able to do your job. But now you've also got to be able to handle, you got to oversee programs and you got to oversee people. Mm-hmm. And that's the harder part. Any, almost any of us can learn to do a job. But the, it's, more, it's much more complicated to handle human beings and the intricacies of that. So um, that's going to be an expectation. And you learn a lot of that as an NCO. And, I've, and in fact, I would say you probably learn more being an NCO because you're tied to those individuals more so than you are as an officer. Mm. So these guys coming in as master sergeants uh, and senior, or, or, or master sergeants, right? Master sergeants, right. Uh, you know, the, they start out as a lieutenant and everyone looks at the butter bar with a, almost an expectation to fail in this. And they already have a leg up on their, on their counterparts of being able to hold the water, as it were, mm. and be able to manage these programs and people pr- probably much more effortlessly than a brand new lieutenant coming in uh, without any prior enlisted time. Yeah. And then last thing I think is, I think, and someone else mentioned like going to other, that you had, you were an exec, right? So Wales was an exec and they had these other officers who were more than willing to share how they got there and mm-hmm. kind of nudging them along. And um, I, I just recently listened to a, an interview with Steve Jobs where he talked about the difference between the dreamers and the people who achieve. And he says the people who ask the people that are doing the thing they want to do for help. Yeah. And so when he was 12, he wrote a letter, as it states a little bit, he wrote a letter to uh, one of the founders of Hewlett Packard and asked how, if he could send him some spare parts to build a, 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 a device called a, uh, uh, it doesn't matter, I can't remember what it's called, a repeater. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that a 12-year-old wrote him, he, he of course, re- he thought it was great, and he wrote back, he gave him the parts, and then he gave him a part-time job. <laughs> um, and, and he were, ended up assembly, on the assembly line uh, putting together repeaters. And that kind of got him started. He never stopped asking people who were doing bigger yeah. and better things, in his view, um, for help. And more often than not, those people are willing to, to help him out. And, and I know that that's the case I know of the guys in this room. If you come up to any of us and ask us, hey, how do I get from A to B? We're going to help you out there because we want you to succeed as well. Just know it's one step at a time. It's a long process, and it is, it, it can, it's going to be difficult along the way. Yeah, and I'm a huge advocate of that. You know, That's why I love that we put together that list because you know, Aaron will call me, and, and I mean, rightfully so. They think that I have the answers on how to, to exactly do this, but once I explain to them, I, I never, I've never done it, so I don't know. You should go find an officer that has done this, and they can explain exactly how to do it to you um so and you're absolutely right I, I, I see that a lot people for some reason don't like to ask the folks that are doing it how did you get there and i don't know if it's a pride thing like they don't want to seem like they don't know what they're talking about or what but i'm a huge proponent of that like go go find out who's doing what you want to do and ask them how they did it and most most people are going to take you under their wing and explain it to you because yeah so you guys something to say yeah i can just I, from my own personal perspective especially coming up in security <clears throat> forces uh so, you know, security forces, maintenance, there's a lot of career fields out there where the, the ratio of enlisted and to officer is is really significant. You know, I mean, you, you'd be talking about, for instance, there's 240 people in the security forces squadron and there's me and my commander, right, to, to, <laughs> to take care of everybody. So, um, you know, and so for me coming up, that's most of the squadrons I was in as they enlisted that, you know, it was like that. And, and so there is a weird thing going directly to your boss's 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 boss right to to go ask them about specifics there shouldn't be right but the, mm-hmm. but the, the way the there's just the culture of the air force and the culture of the rank structure it tends to do that there was there was always like 
even if I'm talking about non-work related things, right? This is my own career development path and everything. There's this like fear in the back of my mind that if I go approach this guy and I haven't cleared it through, you know, staff sergeant, tech sergeant, master sergeant, senior master sergeant, so-and-so, then somehow there'll be, you know, some type of consequence for that. Right. So, you know, for me, what I, the, the exciting part, I always open up the opportunity for anybody in my squadron to come talk to me. But there is some reluctance, and I see it all the time. And I'll hear it because my senior master sergeant in the, in the office next door will be like, why are you in here talking to me about this? The lieutenant's right there. Just go in the office and talk to him, right? Yeah. So it, it, it at least exists in the security forces culture, and I imagine it exists probably in maintenance and maybe some of the other career fields. So uh, sometimes the best way to do it is to just that's – that's part of why we want to do this and have stuff like this is so – you know, maybe if a security force airman doesn't feel comfortable coming directly to me because I work in a squadron every day, he can go to another prior enlisted master sergeant who who walk the same path and and get his expertise and feel a little more comfortable about it. Mm. And there are some cheat codes that you have today that we don't have. Um, you have LinkedIn. Like, mm. LinkedIn is a great resource to see how people did things, and 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 maybe reaching out that way is like more of a professional rather than like a social media platform. Um, I mean, I. I, I Colonel Heathman was here prior, and I've asked him a couple of questions on LinkedIn regarding some paths that he took, some classes that he took. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we should all ask Colonel Bentley to be our uh, mentors and show us how he got where he's getting, but there are some there are some people uh, that we can communicate with fairly easily mm -hmm. through this mechanism. You don't even have to communicate with them. You could just see how they did it and kind of get, gather some information there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... If you don't mind, I guess we'll start with OTS. And is there any any like tips you'd like to give anyone who's maybe thinking about OTS that you wish you had known when you were applying? I'm probably I'm sure there's probably a lot, but uh, maybe top two. Study for the AFOQT. Mm -hmm. uh, I took it as a, a senior airman. Uh, you you get two chances before you need waivers, and I failed the first one, uh, and that was three years of. Uh, after the fact, uh, after I failed, that I was scared to do it again right. uh, because I didn't want to go to OTS with any waivers. Gotcha. Um, well, why did you want to go to OTS with waivers? I figured I'd have a better chance if I didn't have any waivers in my package to actually okay. get selected. You meant like applying uh, for OTS. Uh, apply for OTS. I thought you meant you didn't want to actually go to OTS with waivers like they, they call you out the first day or something. Negative. It was, it okay. was the, the application portion. I gotcha. figured if my application was smooth, mm -hmm. uh, there would be an easier chance. I don't know if that's the case right. uh, because waivers exist for a reason and mm -hmm. plenty of people get them. They do. Um, but I was afraid of taking that AFOQT a second time. Uh, so I studied and studied and studied and ended up passing it uh, the second time. So that was a, a huge relief. I wish I would have just done it the first time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tanner Wales, you got anything? Yeah. So when when uh, when we did the, the the briefing in the classroom, the the little section I did for tips tips to increase your chances to get selected. Okay. The the first one for sure is study for the AFOQT, right? Because mm -hmm. if you bomb that. It's not just it's not just not meeting the minimums, right? It, it's also that is another factor that they're considering as far as scoring your package, right? So if you're one or two points above the, the minimum on each of them, it, it really is going to lower your your chances of selection. Uh, the good news is is that there are plenty of practice tests and guides available. If you go to Amazon and you type in AFOQT study guides, there's a brand called Trivium. I think they do the best job of replicating the tests. They have two full practice tests in there you can take. Even if you don't feel like you need to study, your math and English is, is on point, 
You need to take those practice tests yep. because you won't be prepared for the time limits that are associated with each category until you do it. Okay. Um, fo- uh, when it comes to school, focus on, on getting good grades, and, and that means maybe waiting one more board to apply, right? Yeah. Uh, there are too many people, I think, that they say they're committed to go into OTS, and they're taking two and three classes at a time, and they're just trying to get through it as quickly as they can, and then all of a sudden they get a C, and then there's a B, and another C in their grades, right? And before you know it, they're they're graduating with a 3.0 or a 2.9 or something like that. 2.5 is the is the minimum without needing needing a waiver, but I don't even think they're doing a waiver at this point for GPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but again, it is your your chances are directly connected to the higher the GPA. You right. know, if you have a 3.9, your your chances are way higher than having a 3.0 or a 2.9. Now, a question on that, do, do colleges make a difference? So does your degree from AMU look any different than your degree from Baylor, for example, or, or, or Purdue or something like that? I, I doubt it gets, I don't know, is the answer for me, but I think that it's probably not as weighted as other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a, anyone who's on that board will understand that there's a limitation to what these guys can go to for colleges. Gotcha. However, I think if it's between two people, and one guy went to one place that I won't, you know, I'll, I won't, you know, Phoenix University or whatever. I went to AMU. I'll, I'll dump on AMU. <laughs> and one guy went to, you know, Michigan for business school. Right. I mean, there might, you yep. know, there might be some weight there, but I don't think there's officially anything gotcha. that says you get more points because I don't think that that exists. Okay. I was told my entire time going through my school that. I would not be accepted because I had a nationally accredited degree versus a regionally accredited. Mm-hmm. The requirement is for a national accreditation or a regional accreditation. Gotcha. Uh, and my degree was accepted. Okay. Uh, so that was one of the things that I was told the entire time going through that it they wouldn't accept it because you can go to barber school and or basket weaving as a national accreditation. Uh, that wasn't the case for me. Uh, so to me, I don't believe that the the location of the degree. Uh, takes as much of a uh, look as your performance reports, mm-hmm. as uh, your desire. Why did you want to go? Maybe even the recommendation that you get, right. who you get the recommendation from. Right. Uh, and I know that some people think that they need the recommendation from the wing commander mm-hmm. to be able to go to OTS. Uh, I've seen people go through with a recommendation from their chief in their squadron. Right. Uh, because if that if their chief is saying that I'd be willing uh, to have you as an officer working in my Air Force with me, uh, that says a lot. Uh, it pulls a lot of weight. Um, yeah. So I, I've seen it go either way. Uh, I don't think people need to look necessarily at uh, who or what or where. Uh, more so are they meeting those requirements gotcha. uh, to be able to at least apply. And I have to caveat that. That is true for OTS, but not necessarily true for for some of the medical, medical. ones. So okay. Some of your medical ones uh, are definitely going to require sp- specific uh, accreditation in okay. order to get into those programs. You can't get into U-Shoes um, without certain accreditations. They're okay. not going to let you into med school. Right? So. Gotcha. All right. Uh, sir, LT, I saw you had a couple other things you were going to read there. Yeah. Let, um, Let's get back. Let's, so, yeah. so we talked about grades being important again. And, and so same thing. If you were to rack and stack the list of priorities of, of, th- of things they, they weight, the, mo- the board weights the most, if at all, you would say what school you went to, it would be the very last yeah. possible uh, denom- you know, uh, gotcha. delineating factor. Right? Okay. 
Um, so it's not it's not really something worth giving a, a lot of attention to, I would say. Um, you know, on the enlisted side, the, the biggest thing you can do, especially as an airman, to make yourself stand out is just just always accept that increase in responsibility wherever you can. Whether you know whatever job you're doing, just be willing to take on more. Just be willing to to accept more. Um, and, and, and that is the kind of stuff that'll get noticed. And, and at the end of the day, I think the way it's set up now, it used to be different. So, uh, even just as, as recently as, you know, 2018 and 19, uh, when Lieutenant Hall and I were applying, you could get that letter of recommendation from, from anyone in your chain of command. Mm. Um, uh, it, now uh, the, the, the last I read in the guide is that it, it does have to be your group commander. And, and it also requires a at least an acknowledgement by the wing commander saying that, that I've looked over the package and this is good, right? Gotcha, okay. So the thing is, is with that letter of recommendation, what's important about it is not who's signing it and why they're signing it. it, it it's, it's what they're saying about you. Can they say some, can they tie something to you as small as it is, whatever it is, a volunteer opportunity, uh, they see you on the job one time, did they have a memorable interaction with you mm-hmm. that, can be, that can be captured in a letter? Yeah. So, so if you're aiming for it, right? If OTS is your thing, and you're you're thinking about applying within the next year or so, try to to get on things that that get your squadron commander and potentially your group commander yeah. on on their radar. Yeah. And, and Lieutenant Wales and I talked about this a lot, a lot last time we were with him. It's if if your leadership doesn't know that you're trying to do this in a year or two, then you're way behind the ball. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to get into those situations where you're being seen by the group commander or the wing commander it's, because they've got to be able to work you into those into those mm-hmm. positions and build trust just to get you into one of those positions. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, you, you should let your supervisor know that and you should be working with them pretty actively and letting them know where you are along the way and what you need. Yeah. And, and a great a great thing about that too is you know a lot of people will send me you know exception to policy letters for this or letters of recommendation you can really tell the ones where they know the person and the ones where they're just kind of saying oh this is a great person that works in my squadron and you can you really can see the difference so i think that's really a good a good piece of advice to let them know what you want like get them to know who you are so they can write a personalized letter for you not just a really good at writing nice letters that that aren't nice (laughs) yeah yeah well, it, you know, it kind of goes back to, and this kind of brings, well, actually, sir, we'll, Captain, we'll go to you. Uh, aside from, from what they've already said about OTS, is there any other things that you would recommend for the medical-specific uh, programs? Well, so it's tough because in the medical, your your scores are going to have to be pretty high, both yeah. on the AFLQT and on the, um, and on the, any, your grades for school are going to have to be pretty high. You're going to be pretty competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them have a pretty high cutoff score, depending on which program you're going into. But there's a balance there. So, um, it, it, like, if you, it's great that you have great school. Uh, you have to figure out how to balance work and doing that well. Mm-hmm. We're talking about getting these opportunities and everything. So you get this. Well, what do I do? Do I take this opportunity that the group commander has that I can get some attention here, or do I take a third class? With it? So we kind of already hit on it. Don't get. Don't get yourself in a hurry where you get yourself in a bind where you're having to make those decisions. Um, it, but there is a balance. You really have to focus on school. Um, I will say with the medical also, when we talk about what school you go to, it's pretty tough to show up to school. And if you got your bachelor's degree in, in basket weaving, let me tell you, these schools are going to be tough. So, And if you got it at you know Trump University or whatever, I don't know. It's, these schools are going to be tough because you're not just going to be able to go to any school. You're not going to be able to get your 
they're not going to send you to that same type of university here. You're going to have to get a, a certain accreditation school. Right. It's going to have a ROTC attached to it and so forth. So it's going to be a legitimate school. And, um, and they're not easy to get through. So you're setting yourself up for failure if you took four years of undergrad um, you know, school just to get something that was uh, you know, not really helping you, but an easy A. Mm-hmm. So learn to learn while, gotcha. you, while you're in school. Yeah, that would make sense, um, especially for the medical side of it, because, yeah, you all have very specific requirements after that, yeah, <laughs> after the initial undergrad degree. Really. And there's a reason for it. You don't, I mean, you guys don't want to show up and have, uh, and I know you guys think we just hand out ibuprofen, but, because I was maintenance once. <laughs> it's Motrin, so, sir. Not ibuprofen, yeah, it's Motrin. <laughs> it's the same thing. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, the, but the, the reality is, is we don't, we want, we're a smart force. We, when you, we, uh, you know, I, I had a Marino six talking to us at SOS saying, you know, we have high expectations for you guys being smart. We run through walls. So, you, you know, and you guys, you guys are supposed to think. And, uh, so, so think, and, uh, we don't want our med group people being people who can't think. Yeah. So, uh, we want, we want our families and our service members being taken care of by people who have gone through the gauntlet as it were. Yeah. So, be prepared for that if you want to sign up for any of the uh, medical programs. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think you – I like what you said. I think we are a smart force, um, and that's why those things are so high. You know, uh, one of my assignments, I was in a CRG. I might have already mentioned it. Um, the, the listeners are probably like, oh, God, here we go, another CRG story. But uh, we were at an exercise with Australians, and, I mean, they were blown away that our enlisted bio folks yeah. were doing things that their officer bio folks do, and they, they couldn't – like I was an emergency manager at the time, they were blown away that an enlisted person was was uh, giving our commander recommendations on what we should do during attacks and what gear we should be wearing and what you know. It, so it just it showed me how much smarter we are. I shouldn't say that. Well, we are. We are how much smarter we are than a lot of other countries. And then you add on to that, you want to become an officer in this in this organization. It, it's even more so. So. Um, all right. So uh, what, what, the last thing I'd like to ask everybody, and we kind of started talking about it beforehand, is. The difference for to you between being where you were at in your enlisted rank and your officer rank, and and I, I think I think it was Lieutenant Wales that brought it up, and it's a good point. It's not for everybody, you know. Um, I'm one of them. I got my degree about four or five years ago. Thought about going to OTS, and when I looked at the what you had to do, it immediately turned me off. And to me, that was a sign that I guess I'm not really into this because I didn't even want to read the description of it. So I have airmen that come up to me all the time. And they're like, is there some sort of cheat sheet or that you could make? And I kind of tell them I don't want to make one because I, what they're looking for, are you even going to read the initial qualifications that they're asking you and go through the five pages or whatever it is and do the process? And if you're not interested in that, then that, that should tell you maybe – at this time in your career, this is not something that you should be applying for because this is just this is just like to get into the tryouts. This is not even you know the actual uh, school yet. So, um, so we'll start with Lieutenant Hall. Um, I, I like how you just put that. Where reading the requirements in the application process, being able to actually apply mm-hmm. uh, is one of the the steps for selection. Yeah. Uh, can you yep. fill out the application? Can you meet all the little tedious requirements and get all the forms and put it together in a manner that they are expecting of you uh, as you move forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you need somebody else to provide that little cheat sheet on how to do it, uh, then maybe that person should go and apply for right. uh, the position. Because um, it, it's a challenge to be able to go through and do that. Um, I saw officers going through my career saying, I could do that, I could do that, I could do that. 
um, thinking it would be an easy thing to do. Uh, I mean, it took me a while to become an officer, like I said, 15 and a half years going through and trying to figure out what, what does it mean to be an officer. Uh, and then you have to write a, a package saying, this is why you should select me to be an officer. And it really makes you reflect on why is this even for me? Um, so the, the big difference is uh, I, my last AFSC, I was an MTI and I was leading airmen uh, on a daily basis and I absolutely loved it. Um, and I didn't know if I was gonna be able to do that same thing as an officer. Mm -hmm. So there, there are different aspects of the enlisted side uh, that I love that I may not ever get that opportunity again on the officer side. Uh, to be that uh, integrated with the airmen and to be able to lead and mentor and develop. Mm -hmm. um, but I still get to do that just at a different level. Uh, hopefully I, be, uh, I can still uh, reach out and uh, be able to be that mentor for the airmen. Uh, but now I have some NCOs that I can still mentor and I've got my senior NCOs. Uh, but at the same time, they can mentor me mm -hmm. uh, and make me a better leader for them and for the future of our Air Force. Uh, so I don't want to say that I necessarily have a, a better chance at uh, succeeding as an officer than I would have enlisted. Uh, I could have gone on to be a chief, which is an awesome opportunity still uh, in the enlisted environment. Uh, and don't think that you have to become an officer. Uh, I didn't know what it meant to be an officer uh, until I became an officer and I'm still learning. Uh, it's not something that I can say I know what it means to be a captain or what it means to be a major. Uh, each opportunity that we get is an opportunity to grow. Uh, and I felt like I wanted to go uh, grow uh, on the officer side. Um, so I, I don't know that it's necessarily a, a huge difference either way. Um, I think the opportunities might be different. Uh, positions might be different. Uh, but either way, you can still grow uh, within each side to lead and develop those that, that you're working with, working for, uh, or that you have working for you. Okay, awesome. Thank you, sir. All right, so okay, well, I'll, I'll say three things. Two, two are about, uh, about the difference between enlisted and officer from my perspective, right? Everybody has their own opinions and perspective. I've only been an officer for a little over a year, so take that, take that for what it's worth. And then the third will be about whether being an officer is for you. So the first one is, at the end of the day, officers get paid for their judgment. It is, it is less about our ability to manage things by the book, by a specific thing, right? Program management is important, but at the end of the day, an officer level uh, action or conversation happens with, give me your best judgment. Take everything into consideration, process it appropriately, and then, and then execute how you think it needs to be executed within the law, of course, but you know, as, as appropriate, right? So there is just a lot more flexibility for officers to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is the, the real true test of, of leadership and, and self-reflection, right? If you want feedback about yourself, it happens as an officer. From, from the moment you step into something, the ultimate accountability is on your shoulders. Whether you're at a section level, uh, you know, whether you, whatever it is, starting from your very first flight command, right? Like, you steer that ship. Your commander will not, I mean, there will be leeway in the sense that, that they'll know that you are, you are a relatively new officer, but, but you are just 
so much more responsible for everything that is that that is done or or not done in that section. It is it is always directly your responsibility to remedy the situation mm-hmm. how you see fit uh, when there when there are issues. Um, and so if you don't, so if it's not right, and 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 I think the, the the I haven't been there, so I don't know. But but in my experience, when you get to squadron command, that level and above, I think is really the true test of what you get to see, right? The, the outcome that happens in those two years that you're the squadron commander is all on your shoulders. You are the captain of the ship, you're steering it, and you're, you're just directly responsible for, for what happens. Um, and then, so what I'll say is if you're, the other thing too is that the, the officer comes with a, a certain commitment, um, a certain commitment to to being willing, a lot more willing to meet the needs of the Air Force. Uh, um, you know, for instance, PCSs are a lot more frequent. They're a lot more mandatory. There are a lot more boxes that are checked uh, on, a, on more of a mandatory basis, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, at certain points in your enlisted time as a senior NCO, you can kind of take your foot off the gas and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak off to here as, you know, as a master sergeant or even as a senior master sergeant sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but as, a, as an officer, especially if you're not prior enlisted, you know, you hit major at about 10 years, and from there on, that, that path is very set for you. It, it, and so for, you know, if you're thinking about family considerations and, and, and those other things, um, you have to take that into account, that, that you, you will be a little bit more uh, tied to what the Air Force needs rather mm-hmm. than, than being able to make some of your own decisions right. about your career path. All right, Captain. So these guys have both said great stuff, and it, I could probably go on an hour just talking with them about some of the some of these ideas. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about when uh, Lieutenant Hall was speaking, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons people want to get commissioned, and, mm-hmm. and and they're all over the place, and there's not necessarily bad ones, with the exception of if you want to join just because you want to outrank people, mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask you kindly, probably don't join our ranks. It, first off, because that's just not going to make a quality officer, but second, you're going to be largely disappointed as a lieutenant when you when you think you've got some weight on your shoulders. You have weight on your shoulders, but not a lot of uh, rank on your shoulders. So you kind of go back to the bottom. I mean, these guys fell further than I. I went from tech sergeant, but these guys went from master sergeant. I have no doubt in my mind that their first at their first uh, couple of months in that new job of uh, maybe being looked at like the dumb guy was probably a bit of a struggle. Struggle, and I know it was for me. Is that you know I got we got more than a decade in, in the service, but now you're a newbie again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the second thing is you're gonna you better if you don't like learning, then the officers of course are going into the, uh, uh, becoming an officer is probably not for you. Commissioning is probably not for you because you're going to be challenged every day in ways that you can't imagine and you're going to have to continue to grow and a lot of that's going to come through criticism and I know a lot of people who are looking at commissioning have been really really good at their job and they've never had negative feedback because they've just been really good as an airman as a senior airman they got BTZ they got staff first time Mm -hmm. they've been really great and they didn't never really learn how to receive that negative feedback but when your your superior officers are going to give you negative feedback and you have to learn how to live with that and deal with it and become better for it instead of you know saying, well, that person doesn't know what they're talking about or, you know, building up a grudge. Negative feedback is something you need to get used to, fail forward, get, uh, and, and learn how to deal with those consequences that, that uh, Lieutenant Wales here is talking about, about it doesn't matter if it's not your fault. It is your fault. You are the, you are the uh, leader of this flight, this squadron, whatever. Um, ultimately, you have to learn how to shoulder responsibility and 
try and prevent negative outcomes and create positive outcomes by dealing with really complex systems of people and um, in, in, in a gigantic air force. And the further you move along, it, you never get good at it because as soon as you get good at it, they expand that, uh, that, that, that area of responsibility. So just consider like what Colonel Bentley here at this base has to, is the area of responsibility. Yeah. Any one of us could go screw up today and it's his responsibility. Yep. And is it fair? He might not even know who you are. Yep. Um, but ultimately, it's how he runs this organization that sets it up for success or failure. So I've seen good commanders who one person can ruin it, and that's part of being an officer. Yep. If you don't want that responsibility, probably not for you. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think people look at the, the money and the rank, but they don't understand the responsibility. And it is a different responsibility, for sure. Um, you know, uh, I, even from my limited experience, when I was a superintendent over at the EM flight, we had a, a lieutenant that was the flight commander there, and you know, I could, I could screw up all day, but if he screws up, that's who the commander's going to come talk to about what, what happened. You know, and uh, very rarely do the senior enlisted get a taste of it. I think if you don't have an officer for a while and you're kind of dual hatting for six months, but then someone comes in and then you kind of go back to just focusing on the people in your flight. Versus everything that's going on around. Yeah. So I think those are great points. And, and this ties into a lot of what we're saying, but know what you're applying for. If, yes. If you're a senior airman, and there's nothing against this, and you're applying to be an officer, consider for a second that that, in a, that you'll be pinning on that butter bar and technically be outranking Chief Hatcher, whom I have the utmost respect for. Mm -hmm. I still feel like I'm inferior to Chief Hatcher in every way. But... Uh, the, the reality is, is now you outrank that individual. Consider for a moment what you're asking the Air Force to give you. Right. Are you worthy of that? And and everyone's going to feel a little bit of imposter syndrome when they become an officer, of, <laughs> you know. But but the reality is, is that that's what you're asking the Air Force to entrust you with. Right. Is that kind of responsibility? Yeah. Right. I mean, like I said, I, I thought about it for a second, but then the, the application kind of turned me off, and I started paying attention to what our captain was doing, and I just I thought, you know, I don't, I don't that's not really what I want, you know, personally. So those are those are good pieces of advice for sure. Um, all right. Well, oh, sorry, go ahead. It seems like a real downer. I was wondering if we could talk about maybe the good things about being up. Because I have love. No, we, we can do that too. It doesn't have to be just the, the negative aspects of just, it could be a good difference if you want to as well. That's, that's yeah, totally interesting. I'm interested to hear you guys too. But, um, yeah. So put you on the spot real quick. No, we can, yeah, yeah, that's, I guess, a good point. We can definitely talk about that. But I think it's important to get out there. I, I like what, what you, all three of you just said that it's not, it's not a joke. It's not something that, oh, this would be kind of fun to go do. Like, you're being entrusted with a lot as an officer, and I think you hit it. You know, I can't even imagine the decisions that commanders have to make on a daily basis, um, you know. Uh, so it is it is something to consider before you decide you want to go down this route and take that on, I think. So, but there's got to be some, some great stuff, too. <laughs> there's plenty of great things uh, that come along with being an officer. Um Opportunities to fail, uh, to me, are one of those. Mm -hmm. uh, challenges and being able to go out and make that decision. I know that was discussed as you are responsible for the decision that's made and for what's happening. Uh, but having that opportunity to go out and say, this is what we're going to try. And if you fail, you can fail, but you can also learn from it and try something else. Mm -hmm. um, having those opportunities to go out and lead and to do different things and to be part of these different programs, I didn't have a whole lot of that uh, when I was enlisted. Uh, there was things that I could do. I could go be part of the 
the NCOA, uh, the, the councils, I could be part of the top three. Um, I can still be part of the CGOC uh, here, uh, but the opportunity to be able to lead a wing program uh, as a lieutenant mm-hmm. uh, or to be able to go and be an exec. Um, Lieutenant Wales had that opportunity as a master sergeant uh, that I did not have uh, when I was going through. So I think there's a, a lot of those type of opportunities to lead uh, and to either succeed or fail. Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenge that comes along with it, uh, I'm always up for a challenge, whether it's stressful uh, or not. But I think some of those uh, opportunities, I think, are, are what make me happy to be an officer. Mm-hmm. Senator Wales? So, you know, so much of this stuff will, will really depend on what career field you enter, right? So, you know, if you if you want to be a pilot or if you want to be in, you know, something that involves the operations group, the ratio is, is just totally different than if you're in the maintenance group or the, or, or, or the MSG, especially security forces. So from my perspective as a career security forces uh, airman, you know, it's what has been so nice for me is the the unilateral autonomy that I have to just make a decision and, mm. and try it out, right? To just try something out. There's not a whole lot of people that I have to go to to kind of, you know, I bring the senior NCOs in mm-hmm. and, and you hear the feedback and you say, okay, yeah, we probably need to tweak that, you know, or, you know, 20 guys been in 20 years and he's like, mm, tried that, you know, let's, let's, you know, and we steer it, right? Well, yeah. A little bit. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, making the, I get to make a lot of decisions about things without you know, from just a totally different perspective, just a totally different uh, approach. And being an officer now, it is, it's shifted the way I think about every conversation I'm involved in it, it, when, it, when it's related to work, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, you, 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 you look at it and you, you, you got that bird's eye view where you're seeing things that you know your senior NCOs might not quite be seeing and you're tying it to your commander's intent and that's just stuff that you, I didn't do, you know, and, yeah. and maybe I should have done as a master sergeant. I, I don't know if that, you know, maybe that was one of my responsibilities <laughs> and I didn't live up to it. But, but, uh, but getting to it now, uh, it is very, very cool to be able to have my commander's intent because I speak with him on a daily basis to then take that and work side by side, but, but still having that ultimate decision of, you know, this is how it's going to go, it'd be executed. And then getting that feedback for myself of like, Man, I messed that up because I made that call. I said that we were going to do it this way. I took all the input. I, I, you know, calculated it in my head the risk, and then I, I pushed forward. And if it if it didn't turn out right, the airmen hate it, and it's not really producing results. There's only one person to look at, you right. know. Uh, um, and as a master sergeant, I probably would have been, especially if I'm just leading a flight. And there's three other master sergeants leading other flights. You know, a lot of it kind of goes peer to peer, right? You're like, oh, well, if they would have just helped me out a little bit more, we could have just worked a little better together on this. It might have happened. Right. As an officer, especially in security forces where you're one of only a couple, you set the stage and and, and you get all the feedback right, right. away. But you, so. you seem to enjoy that. It, it, it has been nice. It's been it's been a real uh, eye-opening experience about yeah. getting just getting good feedback about yourself. And then because and I always take that and then think about it. I'm like. Did I take enough input? You know, did I listen enough to, to, to people? Right. And of course, the first one that always pops to your mind is the guy who 
told you not to do it, you know, or that it would be a bad idea. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't listen to him. Yeah. And I don't know if I want to keep, you know, always don't listen to him, but you know, yeah. you just, you just take that feedback, you reflect and, and, it, and then it just, it's, it's, it's like Captain said, it, you know, it's just a lifetime of growth. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it helps me grow so much more. I know just in this one year, personally and professionally, I've grown, you know, leaps and bounds compared to what I was as a master sergeant, you know, a year and a half ago. All right. Excellent. Captain? It's super nice going third here because I get to build on great foundations. Yeah, you know, I see you over there taking notes when they say something really, really good. Yeah, and, and and these guys are really. I mean, you guys, if you're on this base and you're thinking about it, you definitely have to hit these guys up for the non-medical stuff, the or just um, internship in general. You know, there's a lot of it here. It's the the ability to take failure, fail forward, learn from it. You have to have inward self-reflection. You've got to be critic, your biggest critic. Um, and, and, but also your biggest believer. There's a whole bunch of, there's volumes and volumes, maybe the most written about topic of all time being leadership and what it actually means, mm-hmm. and we still don't know what it means, and I'm not sure there is anything that it actually means that we can put on paper. And to everyone, it's a little bit different. And that challenge that's always changing, that's always flexing and moving, mm-hmm. it's a moving target, is what makes me super excited to take a shower in the morning, get up and go to work, it's that I get to deal with infinitely contextual human beings that I can never know everything about and try and figure out how to take a whole bunch of them who are trying to do one common thing and make it work somehow and then throw into throw it into a tornado because you're always going to have stuff go, go wrong right. and still figure out how to control it. And being able to throw a lasso around that tornado and pull it in is one of the greatest senses of accomplishment when, against all odds, whether it's seen that way from your superiors or not, you somehow made something happen. Mm-hmm. And, and then understanding that realistically, one of the nice things about it as an officer, you probably didn't make much at all happen. The people <laughs> did. But the fact that they look to you, there's a great appreciation internally for myself, the fact that they lead, look to me for that leadership, on those, for them to do the job, is is an incredible feeling that I feel almost un, un, um, that that I'm not really uh, worth uh, the value that they maybe put stock in me, and I'm really probably appraising myself high in their eyes. But the second part, and from the officership on the medical side, is often we were asked for pay, we were asked for questions like so. Our technicians are those guys are so smart. They're doing things that doctors were doing 50 years ago. Yeah. They're super smart. Wow. And they um, and they do some incredible stuff. But sometimes you got a patient and they've never seen this before or it's a little bit above their their um, you know their knowledge base and so they're coming to you for these questions. Mm. You better know your stuff. Yeah. You better be good at what you do. And that's one of those things about you don't want to go to, you know, you don't want to go to just any university necessarily or you don't want to just get your degree and then stop learning the day you got your degree as if you know it all. Yeah. I got the degree, now put me in the CEO position. You better keep learning. Yeah. And that doesn't, I think that goes to every officer career field. You better keep learning. I think it just goes across the board, honestly. I, I, I'm a huge proponent sure. of learning. You know, um, I always laugh at the airmen that, you know, in F-TAC, they'll come through and I'll ask all of them, why'd you join and a bunch of them? I was tired of school and I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, you're going to get a lot of school while you're in. So, and, yeah. And you can lose... It's hard to gain credibility as an officer, it, it's, and probably more so as a junior officer. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard as a it's hard as a butter bar to get the to get people to believe in you. What the hell is a butter bar? Now? 
right? <laughs> and then we all get those jokes, and we all know, it. and there and there's some truth to it too, right? There, um, the old crusty master sergeant knows a lot, and the new lieutenant probably doesn't, and there's some reality there. Um, but the responsibility is a little bit different. But if if but there you can, it's going to take a long time to get that old crusty master sergeant to believe in you. But man, you can lose cred- credibility so fast mm-hmm. as an officer, and that's also a fun game to play. And I know I don't need to belittle it, but it's a fun game to play of leading people. When I, I said it earlier, half the time you feel like an imposter. You've got to, you got to, and it pushes you to be better. I guess that's my point. Is I see these people that work for me, and I think they're incredible, and I want to be able to be worthy of the position that that, that I'm in for these right. incredible people. That's a big responsibility. I've never heard anyone say that, sir. They, they feel like an imposter, but I think that's a good. I, I understand what you're saying when you say that. I definitely understand where, you, where you're coming from. So, um, last question I've got. We've gone about an hour, and I don't want to keep everybody. Um, do you in something you said about being flexible, and, and that's what you enjoy coming into work for every day. Do you feel like you have to be more flexible in your current position than you did when you were when you were well, NCOs and senior NCOs? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and. Rarely is your is the commander going to come down to a staff sergeant and say, "I need you to change everything you're doing right now and do this other thing." Mm-hmm. And that's like you put you put money in the bank on that being the case as an officer. And uh, it's hard to schedule out your. I don't even know why we have schedules to be. To be <laughs> I had a, a deputy group commander who in the CRG we'd be planning our missions, and he would say. Your schedule, your plan is your place you start deviating from. So he, he, I, I, yeah. Yeah. he would basically start tearing it apart as soon as he got it. Yeah, but flexibility, I mean, to a certain extent, and you'll learn this. I think it's part of the process of going through the commissioning package. To a certain extent, you're, you know, this is your, mis- your new mistress. You're married to this to a certain, to, to a certain degree. You, mm-hmm. you put the, you know, you t- trade the, sh- the stripes for, for brass. And this is your new baby. It, it owns you to a certain extent. Yeah. And, um, and that's a good thing, I think. You need to be, you need to love this a bit to, to do this job well. Right. Um, and and it's going gonna, it's gonna to ask you to do things that you don't necessarily want to do. We don't always want to take out the trash, but if we want to, if we want to make the spouse happy, you better get up and do it. Right. <laughs> so uh, I think that that's, I think that that for me is how I deal with that. Mm-hmm. This is, I've got to be flexible because this is the expectation. Right. Is there anything to add to that? I always heard flexibility is the key to air power. <laughs> uh, so that, that's, it's definitely true. Uh, I, I believe that as an officer, I've had to fulfill many more roles and positions uh, than being a flight superintendent or being in charge of a specific program. Right. Uh, there's no program that I'm specifically in charge of. There's no all of them, right? uh, daily, <laughs> yeah. this is what you're doing when you come in. Right. It's what is new today, what is coming up, what do I need to help somebody with? Um, and being able to, to help uh, is probably my, my favorite thing uh, in the world is to help others uh, to either achieve, achieve success, get to their goals, uh, get out of a situation, whatever it might be. And there's plenty of things that are going on uh, that, that people have going on in their lives uh, that require you to be flexible. And you might have a schedule that now you just missed a meeting with your commander because you're helping somebody through a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you still have to answer the commanders while you missed that meeting. Right. Um, and you still have to get the information. You still have to be able to press forward. 
Um, so yes, yeah, so you have to be very flexible. Uh, at the same time, you have to be able to, to take those requirements or those requests uh, that you're getting and do your best at it. Mm. Uh, it's not something you can say, oh, I'm not very good at that, so I'm just gonna kind of flex over here a little bit. No, you have to, you have to do what's asked. Um, at least in, in my thought you do, because I don't wanna fail. I don't wanna fail my commander. I don't wanna fail my, air, uh, my airman. It's either way, I, I have to, to look at both directions and say, am I doing right by everybody when I make this decision and when I do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's the challenge that I like, um, but that's also where you have to be flexible in being able to, to make those decisions and uh, use your judgment to, to do right. And sometimes your decisions do, hurt, do fail somebody. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to have to make a choice on Right. Anything to add to that, sir? Yeah, just going back to that's kind of what I said with the with the one of the main reasons, one of the biggest differences um, uh, is the the judgment. You know, it, it is. It, it all comes down to you know you're going to get hit with a million requirements and uh, a million things that you're responsible for, and there's going to be stuff that's urgent, you know, and important, and you have to drop everything and take it. And then there's not urgent, not important, right? And your ability to categorize those things and and you know, do what's in the best interest of everybody involved that to the best that you can. Uh, it requires tremendous flexibility. So, it, and it all comes down to just you judging the situation as a whole, and then and then making a decision, and, and then owning it, and just being responsible for it. Awesome. Well, we've been going for an hour, so I, I don't want to keep you all. It's after after almost after five now. So, but I appreciate you sitting down with me and uh, talking about this. Um, you know, after that class that you, you did, Lieutenant Wales and Captain, you taught that too as well. Yeah, I think I was out that day. I was, I, pro- I was president. Okay. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I went. I, I know I wasn't here that day, and then I, I know the two of you took it over, so I appreciate that. Um, but the we got great feedback. The airmen really liked that class, so then I just thought we should do a podcast and discuss a little bit about you know the different programs, um, and also I wanted to hit on you know the differences that you see between being enlisted and being officer. And I think it was awesome that all of you made up the tech sergeant and two masters so you can really give a good view of of the differences um because i think one of the man i really like what you guys are talking about with you know this is not for everybody and you have to really make sure this is what you want to do before you do it i think that's super important so um but i appreciate your time and uh definitely look forward to what we hear about this podcast and maybe we can do some more stuff like this and we definitely got to set up another class because i keep getting asked about when the next one's going to be so we'll try to do them quarterly but uh if anyone has any questions, you're going to hear the email address at the end here to, to send them to. But you can also email me or call me, and I can get you into contact with anybody, and we can give you very specific specific information. So, All right, everybody, until next time. Well, that's it for this episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. If you have show ideas, people you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, email us at fafb.com. C-A-A at gmail.com.